in reading with verse 17. And I want to, I want to read, read this whole section to us tonight. And I want you to follow along as I read. And I want us to be able to, to dive into this passage of Scripture and see really what Paul is trying to teach us tonight as we gather tonight around the Lord's table together. So would you follow along as I read from 1 Corinthians 11, chapter, chapter 11, verse 17. But in the following instructions, I cannot praise you, for it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. First, I hear that there are divisions among you when you meet as a church, and to some extent I believe it. But of course, there must be divisions among you so that you have God's so that you who have God's approval will be recognized. When you meet together, you are not really interested in the Lord's Supper. For some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. And as a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. What don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking, or do you really want to disgrace God's church? And shame the poor. What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly will not praise you for this. Verse 23 For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord Himself. On the night He was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and He gave thanks to God for it. Then He broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So anyone who eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or you drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick. And some have even died. But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with this world. So my dear brothers and sisters, when you gather for the Lord's Supper, wait for each other. If you are really hungry, eat at home so you won't bring judgment upon yourselves when you meet together. I'll give you instructions about the other matters after I arrive. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Amen. God's word is, is true. God's word is active. God's word, it tells us, is, is sharper than a two-edged sword at times. And I don't know how many of you have ever played with a two-edged sword. Uh, but you've got to be careful with it, don't you? And you've got you to gotta be aware of what you're doing and what you're handling and I think there's times, and as I mentioned this a few weeks ago, there's times when we are in the church, we do things out of habit or we do things out of tradition, and sometimes I wonder if we really understand what we're doing. And sometimes I wonder if we take that two-edged sword that is God's word through our, that we interpret through our traditions and through our practices, 
And sometimes maybe we mistreat it or, or we abuse it even to the extent that maybe we are not getting the benefit that God intended for it to have. One of those things that, that, we, that we talk about in the Church of the Nazarene is we talk about two, uh, two main sacraments that we celebrate, and we did one of them last week as we celebrated Baptism Sunday, and the sacrament of what God is doing on the inside of our life we want to make public as a confession with our story about what God has done for us to others and to the world. And we celebrated an exciting day last week as we baptized three, three young people as their commitment to the Lord is, is growing and, and we are watching them grow and being able to teach them now uh, the things of the Lord and, and watch them and their fruit of their life really take off. And so I'm excited for that. But tonight, I wanted to, to gather us around the Lord's table, but before we partake together, I believe it's important, again, that we, th- that we really think about and understand why we do this. Uh, there, there are histories, there are traditions in in gathering around the Lord's table that many people practice, and I believe some of them even do it uh, out of habit. They do it out of tradition. And some people, even I've talked to people in other churches and other denominations that, that practice this on a more frequent basis than we do. Um, and I've heard people say, you know, sometimes it just gets to be uh, pretty um, habitual, or um, routine. And, the, and, and for some people, it takes the meaning out of what they're doing. You know, I, I wonder if, if we did that in other areas of our life, if we would just forget doing it because it became so routine or mundane. I would hope not. Let me use a really silly example for a moment, if you can entertain me for a minute. What if we never changed clothes? What if we just continued to wear the same clothes every single day of our life? Some, some of us uh, are, are very young in this room. And so you, if you can imagine children, teens, if you've, if you've had to wear the same outfit that you've got on tonight, and you've had to wear that your entire life, well, for some of you, 8, 9, 10, 12, 13 years, that might not be so bad. But then there's some of you that are on the other end of that spectrum And if you had to wear the same clothes your entire life, you'd be looking at 60, 70 years of the same outfit. It might get pretty routine, pretty habitual. It might even get pretty smelly, gross. And if we're not careful and we don't take care of it, then we really don't even realize what's taking place in our life. We we can get used to the the stench, or we can get used to the comfort level, and, and we just kind of dismiss the reason why we change our clothes every day. And that's a really, really simple example of what I'm talking about when it comes to communion, because for me, uh, we, we've had this discussion on our church board recently as we've talked about how often we partake of this sacrament. And, and that's a debate that is had, not only on our church board, but in, in many churches that don't have a a scheduled routine of practicing this sacrament every week, is that that's the biggest fear that we have, is that it will become something that we just take really lightly. And we don't really, it just becomes a part of what we're doing. We just do it out of tradition or habit, and we don't really understand what we're doing. And so I think it's important as as we prepare to go to the Lord's table tonight together, 
I believe it's important that we learn from what Paul's writing as he's, as he's giving some clear examples to the church about what Jesus did for us all. And I want to just illustrate a couple things. I want to just touch on a few things that Paul talks about, but that Jesus did as well when he first took when he first took the Last Supper with his disciples. And if you look back in your text to, to verse number 23, verse number 23, Paul is saying these words. He says, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. If we remember, Paul was not one of the original twelve. He was not in that group of the original that was with Jesus every single day for the time that Jesus was in ministry. In fact, Paul was on the other side of the table. He was persecuting those that, that were a part of what Paul called, or Saul called at the time, the way. He was doing everything in his power to stop this movement of this man named Jesus. And then we see what Jesus did to Saul on the road and he, and he gets blinded by the bright light. And he, he calls out in his blindness. He says, who is this doing this to me? And if you remember that story, and you remember that text, the Bible is very clear that it's Jesus who answers Saul. And Jesus says to him, he says, this is Jesus, the Lord, the one you've been persecuting. And so I wonder when I read verse 23, he says, I want to pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. You see, Saul was not with Jesus when he first took this supper. Yet Jesus gets a hold of Saul's life, transforms him into the, the, most, the most zealous persecutor of the church, and then transforms him into one of the most zealous disciples of Jesus there ever was. And so I have no problem believing this verse because I believe that as, as Paul began to walk in his relationship with Jesus, it became very clear what Jesus had done for Paul. And this became a very real transaction in his life. So, so we move on to what, what Paul was taught. Jesus is with his disciples in that, in that night when he is going to be betrayed. And if you read back in Luke's gospel of what Jesus is saying to his disciples that night, he tells them before they're, while they're having supper, before he gets to this point, he tells them, somebody here tonight is going to betray me. Somebody here tonight is going to turn their back on what we're doing after all this time, and they're going to turn me over. And if you remember that, that story and that interaction, the disciples begin to talk amongst themselves. How can this be? Who is it? Is it me? Is it you? What did you do? And they start pointing the finger. They start casting blame. And then Jesus kind of just stops and he, he addresses the person. He says, go do what you got to do. And Judas leaves and, and goes and, and does what he needs to do. And then Jesus takes his disciples and this is what he does with them. And it says here in, in Paul's account, Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. We got to pause right there because Jesus understands what he's doing at this moment. He understands the meal they're about to partake in. He understands what he's about to teach his disciples. And the first thing he wants to teach them in this moment of, of, of critical truth in his life is he wants to teach them to give thanks for what they have. 
So if you'll, if you'll bear with me in mind, they have no clue what's about to happen to Jesus. He knows exactly what's going to happen. And he's telling them, he's reminding them in this moment, as he takes the bread, he gives thanks to God for it. I don't know about you, but um, when I'm facing a difficult situation that I know is on the horizon, there's times, if I'm going to be honest, that I forget to thank God for that. If you know you're about to enter into a bad situation, do you just stop and say, thank you, God, that I'm about to go through this jump? I don't tend to do that. I don't tend to remember to do that. But Jesus is teaching us in this moment of crucial time in his life to give thanks. To give thanks to God for what he's doing. That's very important. We cannot lose sight of the fact that we must give thanks. Another, another caveat to this, we, we see the words used that we, we relate in the English language to a meal being served, a meal being eaten together and shared together. And tonight as we gather around the table, some might be disappointed that it's just a little wafer and a little cup of juice and not some steak and potatoes and big glass of water to go with it, right? So for us, we don't really understand the meal portion of it, but... I do understand what it means to give thanks for those things that God provides to us. As God's providing this meal, Jesus is teaching them to be thankful. Then he doesn't stop there. Another key element that I think we need to be, be mindful of in Jesus' teaching, as Paul is reminding us through this letter, is he says, after he gave thanks for it, he broke it into pieces. He broke it into pieces. Do you ever think that maybe we have to be broken before God can really do His work in our life? Sometimes we don't want to and we go through, we go through these bad moments and we forget to give thanks. But as we go through these moments in our life that are trials, that are tests, that are, that are moments for our faith to be tested and to be, to be lived out, those are really moments where sometimes we'll even cry out in the middle of it, God, why are you doing this to me? Why am I going through this? Why are you taking myself or my family? Why do we have to go through these trials? And really, it's a moment of God saying to us, you know what? I'm going to have to break you before I can bless you. I'm going to have to break you and your will and your, and your desires and your wants and, and your selfishness. I've got to break that from you so that I can truly bless you with what I have for you. Well, pastor, this is just a cup of juice and a little piece of bread. Yeah, but what we're receiving when we gather around the Lord's table is his grace and his love and that reminder of what he did for each and every one of us. And so we're reminded by Jesus' words as he took the bread, he thanked God for what was about to take place. Then he broke the bread so that then he could bless him. And we see what he goes on to say, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When I think about this table and this time that the Lord had with his disciples. Sometimes I wonder what they were thinking as he said these words to them. This is my body. 
Now, if you study the crucifixion and the trial and all of Jesus' final week, one of the prophecies that was of, of the Messiah, of the Savior, was that he would go through all of that Jesus went through. He would go on trial. He would go through all of this. But one of the prophecies, and I believe it's in Isaiah. If it's not, I'm, I apologize. But you can go look for yourself and correct me if I'm wrong. But I believe it's Isaiah. When he's talking about the Messiah, he says, there will not be one bone in his body that is broken. Jesus went through everything that he went through in his trial week, in, in that passion week. He was beaten, he was flogged, he was, he was whipped, he was spat on, he was treated like a dirty, rotten scoundrel. And yet, really, what just is so cool to me is that his body was never broken. His bones were never broken. And he was able to fulfill one more prophecy of who he really was. And yet in this moment, before any of that happens, he's trying to tell his disciples, his followers, his friends, this is going to represent what my body is going to go through for you. And I still believe to this day, and I, don't, I, I would probably get in a, into a holy argument or debate with somebody that I would venture to say that the disciples had no clue what he was talking about, had no idea what he was talking about. And then when that's all done, they're like, man, this is kind of weird. He's telling us that this bread is his body. I don't get that. That's kind of weird. That's kind of odd. And then he goes a step further and he takes this cup. And he takes this cup and he starts talking about this cup of wine being blood. His blood. And he takes the cup and he, and he drinks of it. He does the same thing. He takes the cup. He gives thanks for the cup. He gives thanks for what's about to happen to him. His blood is going to be shed. But he says to the Father... I thank you for this cup. Hmm. Now, he can't break the cup, but he drinks it, and it, it resembles that moment in the garden when Jesus is praying, and he's praying hour after hour after hour, and he says to the Father, he says to the Father in the garden, if it's your will, take this cup from me. And as soon as he says that, then he, again, as Jesus does, says the things that the Father tells him to say. But if it's not your will, then your will be done. And he uses that same verbiage, cup. Take this cup from me. And now he's sitting at the table with his disciples, and he takes the cup that resembles his blood, the shed sacrifice for our sins, and he thanks God for it. The same cup that he's trying to get rid of, he gives thanks for it. And he does it. Why does he do, why does he do it? He does it so that he can bless his disciples. He blesses his disciples. He's giving them something that they don't even realize what they're receiving. He's giving them grace. He's giving them forgiveness. He's giving them the ultimate sacrifice so they don't have to pay that price. This cup is the new covenant between God and his people. You see, before that time, the covenant was between God's people and the sacrifices that they would bring to make sure their sin was atoned for, that it was taken care of. 
that it was making them justified, as we've talked about before. We've, we've explained all that, and I understand that we're not going to go through that again, but what, what Jesus is saying here again is this cup now symbolizes a new covenant, a new relationship, a new intimacy with my people that's not just for the people of God and Israel. It's for all people, even those low-life Gentiles that Pastor Greg was talking about this morning. That's you and me. That's all of us. And as we come to the table with the Lord himself, he's taking this cup, this this bitter cup that he knows what it's for and he's thanking God for it so he can bless you and bless me. Wow. So would it be easy to take this ritual for granted? Maybe. Could it be something that if we did it every single time we met that we might get bored with it? Maybe. But I would venture to say if we really understand what communion is all about, what this sacrament is about, what Jesus is commanding his disciples, his followers to do, every time you do this, remember my sacrifice. I would venture to say that Nazarenes in general, we don't do it enough. We don't partake enough. We don't spend time remembering enough the sacrifice that Jesus made for each one of us. But one of the things I want us to see tonight before we gather together is is what Paul is instructing this church in Corinth, and I believe that we can take it to heart tonight as well, is some very important elements to this sacrament as believers in Christ. Three quick things I want us to see tonight from this passage. We must first examine and pray. We must first examine and pray. Paul is telling us here, and he goes on to to say this, if, if anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup who doesn't examine themselves is really asking for God's judgment upon yourself. What does he really mean there? He means that everyone ought to look inside and do as, do as King David said when he said, Lord, examine my inner thoughts. Examine my inner being. Find in me anything that is not okay with you. And if there's something there, would you let me know so that we can take care of it together? I think it's important as we go to the table that we examine our own heart. Because if we're going to take the cup and take the bread and we're not going to remember the sacrifice that was made, what Paul's writing here, it's God's word, it's truth, it's not my word. It's that we're re- we are really asking for judgment upon ourselves. Some people might ask, you know, in the Church of the Nazarene, uh, we have a, an open communion policy. And what that means is that anybody that would claim that they know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, they've repented of their sins, and they've asked Jesus to come into their life and to help them to live a life that follows His example. That we believe in the Church of the Nazarene that if you have done that, you are free to partake of this wonderful sacrament. You are free to embrace the grace that God wants to give you through this sacrament. But I just want to do uh, my job as your pastor to say, we need to examine and pray before we partake. We need to be able to say, As Jesus did when we take the cup and the bread and we say, thank you, God, for what you did. 
Examine my heart. If there's anything in my life that is not okay with you, show me. Because your sacrifice took care of the transaction, took care of my sin. But if we're still living in that sin, then that's an issue that we have that's separating us from him. And I would venture to say it's hard for us to receive his grace, his forgiveness, his love in our life if we don't first say, God, show me where I'm wrong. Help me to see how I can be different. Help me to be more like you. So Paul reminds us the first thing we need to do as we gather at the table is we need to examine and pray. We need to ask God if there's any sin in our life. And if there is, we need to pray and ask Jesus for his forgiveness. Number two, we need to take and eat. When we eat this bread, this bread represents the body of Christ. And we need to remember how his body was treated for our sins. In Matthew chapter 26, we read these words. While the disciples were eating, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. He gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat. This is my body. So as we go to the table tonight, my prayer for us is that we can be thankful for the bread, thankful for the body, and remember what Jesus did for each and every one of us. Take it, receive it, partake, eat it. Enjoy the blessing of his grace and his forgiveness tonight. The third thing is that simply this, the same as the second. We must take and drink. We must drink the juice that represents the blood of Christ. And remember the new relationship, the new covenant, the new promise that we can be free from all sin through Christ's shed blood. Matthew 26, again, this is the moment when Jesus is, is going through this supper with his disciples. And he says, he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. My prayer for us tonight is as, as we take the cup and drink it, that we would be thankful as we remember the blood that was shed for our sins so that we can spend eternity with him. Aren't you glad of this sacrifice? I'm so thankful that when we gather around the table that, that we don't have to physically go through what Jesus went through. We don't have to physically be beaten and be hung on a cross in order to experience the love and the power of Jesus. He took care of all of that. But he gave us very specific instructions that every time we come to the table together, we remember what he did for us. We give thanks to him. We allow him to break us, to break our will, to break our desire. And then as we do that, he will bless us. He will give us his grace, his forgiveness, his love. Amen? I'm going to ask those that have been asked to come and to help to come and prepare uh, and come up front. We're going to give instructions in just a moment. And as they're coming, I want us to take a moment and really examine our hearts. Examine 
our lives. What is Jesus speaking to your life tonight about? What is he asking you to make sure you have taken care of before you come to the table? So I want to ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want us to just take a moment in the, in the quietness and the stillness of this time. And would you just ask the Lord tonight, God, would you look within my life? And would if there's something in my life that is not okay with you, would you reveal that to me right now? If there's unconfessed sin in my life, if there's something that I've done to wrong somebody else and I haven't asked for forgiveness or, or tried to, to restore that relationship, God, would you show me? If I've made a choice to go against what you want me to do, would you point that out? Would you remind me of that moment? If God has shown you something, I want to pray a prayer of repentance tonight. And if you need to pray this prayer, would you just repeat it to God for yourself tonight? God, I thank you for showing me where I need to improve. God, I'm sorry for living my life only for me. I'm sorry for the things that I've done that are against you. And God, I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I believe that you died on a cross to take away my sin. And I want to trust you the rest of my life to keep me close to you. To keep me walking with you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for helping me. In Jesus' name, amen. Sally, would you help them to get this ready? I want to give you a little bit of instruction tonight. We're going to do things a little bit different. We're going to go through uncharted territory, as we learned this morning. And the only thing that's different is just how you're going to receive the elements tonight. We have one tray that will be passed down your row. There are two cups in every slot of those trays. And so I'm going to ask you, each person, to take both cups that are in that slot. In the bottom cup will be a cup that has the bread in it. In the top cup will be the juice. So you will get both elements at the same time. Take that one cup, pass the tray, and hold that until everybody's been served. And then as everybody has been served, we'll come together and we will give God thanks again. And we will partake together.
as we've just talked about. On the night our Lord was betrayed, he sat with his disciples. He took the bread and gave thanks for it. Would you join me in giving thanks tonight? God, we thank you for this bread and what it means. We thank you for the reminder of the grace that we can receive because of the sacrifice that was made. As we take this bread tonight, God, I pray that you would break us, break our selfishness, break our will, and make us like you. So as we take this bread tonight, help us to remember your sacrifice and be thankful. Take and eat the bread. After supper, Jesus took the cup and he gave thanks for it. Would you join me in giving thanks for the cup? God, we thank you for your blood that was shed through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Blood that was shed for our sins. Perfect blood. Holy blood. Righteous blood that covers every one of our sins. God, as we take this cup tonight, may we forever be thankful that you paid the price through the blood of Jesus for our sins and be thankful. Take and drink the cup. Thank you, Lord, for your love for us. Thank you for the price that you paid for our lives so that we may spend eternity with you. And God, every time we partake of this wonderful sacrament, may it not be something that's done out of ritual or habit or tradition, but rather, God, may it be something that's done out of a desire to become more like you. Help us, Lord, to always be thankful for what you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen and amen. As you go tonight, go knowing that God loves you, and so do I. Have a great week. We will see you next week.